The future for Israel and the world is front and center today on Light on the Hill. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. As we approach the end of the book of Zechariah here on Light on the Hill, we'll shift our focus to God's predictions for the nation of Israel and the world. Keep in mind, God has never gotten it wrong and he never will. God's message in chapter 12 is both compelling and powerful. Here's Pastor James Cadiz. Chapter 12 of Zechariah, let's just jump right into it. And as I had promised last week, we're sort of in chapter 12 shifting our focus immediately on the future of Israel and, of course, the world for that matter. And it's interesting because when we look at this portion of Zechariah, it is astounding how much of it has already been fulfilled and how much of it is yet to be fulfilled. And there's some very interesting stuff here. So let's just jump right in. It says in verse uh, one of chapter 12, it says, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Now, I want to stop because there is an immediate declaration here that uh, Zechariah makes and one that we should pay attention to. And he says that this is the Lord who's actually speaking, right? This is the voice of God. And I think oftentimes we lose perspective on phrases like God spoke to me or the voice of the Lord is speaking to us because we minimize who God is. And oftentimes we minimize who God is by the abuse of our own language, right? I mean, how many times have we come to church and someone says, well, the Lord put this on my heart or the Lord spoke to me, right? And we don't pay much attention to it because it's sort of a dummied up, sort of a church way of saying um, this is what I've been feeling, right? When in reality, we should really be wise and careful about when we say God declared something to us, right? When, when I go to somebody and I say God spoke to me, I better know that it was God who actually spoke to me. And I think Zechariah is doing this right away. He's saying, listen, the, I want you to understand, make no mistake about it. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this is the word that comes out of the mouth of the one who created the universe, right? Who assembled everything together, who literally breathed a living soul into man. And I think that that's important because when you realize who's speaking, oftentimes it's a lot, uh, um, it goes a lot into what we actually choose to listen to, right? And it is interesting how oftentimes the person or bringing up the person who's actually going to speak uh, makes a big difference as into who listens and what's actually going to be said. And I think it's unique in that there are so many people that we give earthly attention to who come out and speak that we would listen to all day because of what they can bring to the table, the value they might have to your life personally, doesn't really matter. But then when we say it's the creator of the universe that's speaking, it would seem as though the overwhelming majority of people in this world continue to ignore the voice of the creator, right? And he's been been speaking to us loud and clear. He's been making it very well known what his heart and mind is 
for us in the way that we should live. And it would just seem like we completely ignore his voice. And um, I, I think we live in a world that's exactly that way. There's people that are uh, not only not listening to the voice of God, but there are people that are out there that are hostile to the voice of God. And I really don't think they completely understand who it is they're posturing themselves against, right? They don't realize uh, that we are talking about the true and living God, the one who literally at the snap of a finger can completely end your soul, right? This isn't just a, 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 you know, a simple, uh, thing where, you know, oh, I'll just take him or leave him. You know, it's not, that's not God. God is the creator of the universe. He's declaring his word to us. And so this is kind of heavy. When you look at the way Zechariah puts this, he's basically saying, right, this is the one who stretches the heavens. He lays the foundation of the earth and he formed the spirit of man uh, within him. I mean, literally, man would not have a, a spirit unless God had not formed it within him, right? And so the idea here is, hey, your creator's talking, so pay attention, right? It's the spirit of God. He, he's the one that is in us as believers, and we should be open to his voice. And we continue to kind of see that sentiment being drawn here. And he says this in verse two, he says, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now, it's very interesting because um, we have seen this become a real uh, part of modern day history, right? When you look at the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, uh, that in and of itself was met with a tremendous amount of controversy, especially as it related to Egypt and Jordan and uh, Syria for that matter. And many of you uh, that understand uh, Middle Eastern history will know just how bad things had gotten um, with the nation of Israel. And of course, Israel was able to successfully uh, bring itself to that place as a nation being reestablished in 1948, not without a lot of bloodshed, not without a lot of problems. And then, of course, in the 60s, we know what happened there. Everybody knows how difficult of a situation that was. And if you remember, Abdel Nasser of Egypt actually made this declaration that he was, in essence, going to eliminate Israel, right? Uh, just right off the face of the earth. And if you remember the story of what happened there, when you look at what took place between uh, Egypt and, of course, Syria and what took place with Jordan and all the things that happened there, that was also another very miraculous situation for the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, it was interesting because when that conflict took place and it finished, and it finished in, in pretty much six days, right, when it all kind of ended as quick as it did, um, not only did Israel not get slaughtered, right? They ended up in a far more advantageous position, right? 
they became uh, a little bit more or, or got a little bit more land under their belts, right? A portion of the Sinai Peninsula became theirs, right? Certain parts of Judea, Samaria became theirs. I refuse to speak about the West. I don't call it the West Bank. I hate that phrase. I don't use it. I think it's a Palestinian-made phrase. But uh, a portion of Judea, Samaria was uh, put in their lap. And of course, a good uh, portion of Jerusalem. And prior to that time, even something as simple as accessing Jerusalem to walk into a part of Jerusalem, particularly the East End, was very, very difficult. Uh, it just was something that didn't happen, and yet God sustained them. And then you get into the 70s, and you see the Yom Kippur War, right? The Day of Atonement. That one was also supposed to be a really bad one. If you remember, in that one specifically, Jordan didn't want to get its hands really involved in it because they kind of learned their lesson, right? Yet Egypt got involved, Syria got involved. There was a uh, a very, very uh, loud declaration that was made by the Middle East. Look, even Russia, particularly in the 60s, had armed uh, Abdel Nasser with all kinds of weapons to be able to do what he was going to do and was not successful in doing it. And then when we get into this war in the 70s, when Yom Kippur happened, I mean, everybody thought that Israel was going to get licked. And the reality of it was they smashed their opponents. They smashed their opponents so bad. They defeated their opponents so bad. Then at one point, they actually wanted to just gloat a little bit and actually destroy Damascus. That was something that they had in their mind of doing, but realized that there would be way too much of a cost of life involved in doing something like that. And they backed away from even doing it. There's a particular story that I remember very specifically that I would have never known about Yom Kippur and what happened during that war, especially as it relates to the Golan Heights, um, that I would have never known had it not been for people that actually were in Israel that are friends of mine who were actually there and actually told me uh, the story of that. I have one friend um, who told me a story, uh, told us all a story that I think was remarkably powerful. I'm not sure if Nicole was with me on this trip or not. I think she was. This was her first trip of Israel uh, to Israel. And we got up there at the top of the Golan Heights. And of course, when you're there in this portion of the Golan Heights, it's freezing uh, during the time of the year that we were up there. And um, it's not the most pleasant place to be. As a matter of fact, people tend to sort of uh, stack up in the tourist area where there's the coffee house and you kind of get up to this vantage point that's at the top. And we heard this story of um, these uh, Israeli soldiers that were stationed up there in the Golan Heights. They had a limited amount of artillery. There wasn't much. Uh, they did have some use of their tanks from where they were, but they didn't really have much. Uh, up there because of the uh, vantage point in which they were. And they said that on Yom Kippur, which of course is their high holy day, it's a day that they would never expect anybody to attack or anything like that. They tell us a story of how they were on the very top lookout post and they're staring down into I guess I'll call it the proverbial valley right below for where from where the Golan Heights is. And they're watching hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, potentially even thousands of Syrian tanks that are coming towards the Golan Heights. And um, they're pretty much thinking in their minds, 
we're done. Like, this is, this is not going to be good for us. It's not going to end. They're going to trample on us, and um, it's not going to be good. And as they're sort of bracing themselves for a war that is not going to last long or a battle that is not going to last long, and they know that, you know, things are about to be done and it's not uh, pretty much going to go well for them, they all notice something, that around exactly the same time, all of the tanks just stop. Literally just stop there in uh, at the base. And then it didn't take them long for them to recognize that when the Syrians came in with their tanks, their logistics management was very poor, and they did not realize that they needed to have some people with them to help refuel these tanks as these tanks were cutting across the valley into that particular area, and all of those tanks all pretty much ran out of gasoline all at the same time. And what is perhaps even more miraculous is you're talking about enough firepower to completely level the hill and everybody on it and destroy anybody near its path. But when you have no more gasoline, that means you no longer have a working tank. There are no mechanics uh, that save you. You can't fire anything. There's nothing. It's all, I mean, literally, you are sitting ducks. And what they told us, um, and it was uh, something that they've never forgotten, was they told us that, in essence, with, the, with just the few resources that they had, they literally obliterated, I mean completely destroyed, a, a massive series of tank units that were there. You know, thousands of tanks just completely blew them up there. And again, Israel was given great victory. And it was something that was completely unexpected. They were expected to have been completely destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth. And yet God gave them provision and provided for them in sustaining them and keeping that from happening, right? And we went from nations seeking to completely destroy them, which of course is still kind of the case to a degree, to several of these nations saying, I know better and I'm not playing this game anymore. And of course, if you remember in 1979, which uh, uh, this is interesting, uh, uh, maybe a little bit before that time, but I think, no, I think 79, there was a treaty that was signed between Egypt and Israel, right, which kind of ceased everything between them. And then it's interesting because when you uh, hit the fast forward button and you look at what happened with Jordan and uh, the United States, I mean, uh, well, it was the help of the United States that happened, but Jordan and and, and Israel, uh, 1994, they signed a treaty, right? Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting, a little interesting thought. We were the very first group to uh, ride into the rock city of Petra immediately after the treaty between Israel and Jordan was actually signed. As a matter of fact, um, what's really interesting there is uh, like literally uh, we we were the first ones who went through the easy border process uh, that had never been known to the Israelis during that time entering into Jordan, uh, which was uh, pretty unique. I mean, you talk about the significance of that. Of course, I never realized, you know, just how significant that was back in the 90s. But it was one of those moments where it was, wow, this is uh, this is pretty incredible. This is a pretty incredible moment of time. And uh, something that's uh, pretty cool to be able to see and, and observe uh, what God had actually done in that. And again, uh, the whole point is, 
every single nation that seems to want to gun for Israel is not going to be blessed by God. We've watched evidence of it in the past. We're actually seeing evidence of it again. I'm still dumbfounded by the amount of anti-Semitism that continues to grow amongst organized nations, right? I'm blown away at how uh, the United Nations continues uh, to write resolutions that are fully anti-Semitic in nature. I cannot believe how they're allowed to be able to get away with it. Uh, but I think that at some point they are going to end up experiencing the destruction promised to them. And God says that he's going to come in and he's going to intervene and he is going to defend Israel, right? He's going to be with them. And of course, so we've seen kind of a partial fulfillment of this, but we are seeing some more of this that's yet to come. Look what it says here in verse four. Uh, this is kind of interesting. It says, in that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open up mine eyes upon the house of Judah and I will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, in the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. So this is interesting. And notice this verse six. And in that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about and the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. And of course, we've watched that, right? That's happening. Jerusalem is still, as it always has been, the eternal capital of the nation of Israel and no matter no matter how much people have been gunning for uh, Israel and trying to destroy Israel and in essence take Jerusalem away possession of Jerusalem has become more and more in the hands of the Israelis as a matter of fact as a result of the war in the 70s uh, that sort of finalized it all, right? And when you talk about possession of East Jerusalem and everything that kind of sits there in the arena of the Temple Mount and so on and so forth, it was all given to the Israelis by the Lord. So this is a fulfillment of it all, right? God says it would happen, and of course, it's happening. And it says in verse 7, it says, And the Lord shall also save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and he that is feeble among them uh, at that day uh, shall be as David and the house of David shall be as God as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass that at that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now we read about this, right? This is uh, sort of an interesting story uh, that we read about in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel tells us that there will be a conglomerate of nations that are going to seek to attack Israel. We know that that's going to be the case. As a matter of fact, we are actually watching the alliances necessary to see that happening already beginning to take place, right? The Bible tells us that Gog, which is a title, presumably uh, the leader, a title of presumably the leader of Russia, right? Um, in the region of Magog with a series. And when I say a series, I'm talking about a series of nations that will join them, will seek to attack Israel and destroy Israel, right? So Russia is going to kind of be the sort of the leader 
in that game, right? But you're going to have Turkey. You're going to have Libya. You're going to have uh, Iran, right? You're going to have a series of these nations, even the Sudan. You're going to have a series of nations that are going to attack Israel, and they are going to do it presumably from the north, potentially from this area around Syria, which of course we know uh, is something that is already beginning to form itself. Because if you stop for a moment and you begin to study the contents of the news headlines that are going on, clearly Russia looks at its uh, border, its own border, as the border that sits on the corner there of Israel and Syria. They've actually declared the Syrian border their own sovereign territory, the border that lines up with Israel. And so already Russia has sort of uh, made its own declarations to kind of set itself up the way that it chooses to, right? You've got Russia and Iran being close. They're close with one another, hanging out in Syria. You've got Turkey, who has a close alliance with Russia, right? And on top of all of that, you have all of these other nations that are under the control Libya will be one of the attacking nations, right, that will attack Israel during this time. And isn't it funny how there's a civil war going on in Libya right now, and the ones that are winning the civil war uh, are the ones that are actually being controlled by Russia and Russia interests, right? So if that ends up happening and that begins to take place, then if you look at the northern border of Libya, you're looking at a portion of the Mediterranean that is directly uh, below or across the way from the Grecian islands and many of these other areas that are in the Mediterranean, which of course gives a remarkable tactical advantage to Russia if that begins to happen and formulate the way it is. And if we have people coming from that area of Sudan and so on and so forth to do this, they undoubtedly will attack Israel the way that... Uh, the way Ezekiel described the attack happening. And we know that all of this stuff is formulating. We all know that it's right there. And this is why uh, we oftentimes talk about a lot of the talking heads that are not telling the truth concerning things going on in Ukraine right now and what's going on with Russia. Russia has to prevail, right? I'm not an apologist for Russia. I have no desire to defend the satanic and ungodly uh, actions of uh, Putin, but understand this, right? We know that Russia is going to have to prevail because their standing is going to be one, militaristically speaking, that is very strong. And so all of these things are things that we know. And when the Bible talks to us about there being a very concerted attack against Jerusalem, yet Jerusalem not being defeated, and then uh, the Jews being planted back into their land, and God being the one that will just ram them down or run them over, well, we know exactly what he's talking about, right? We've seen it already become fulfilled in the nation of Israel. Israel being reestablished and in the nation of Israel actually getting back Jerusalem, parts of the Sinai, uh, and of course uh, the northern uh, parts of the north, uh, Judea and Samaria, all of those areas are now back in the possession of Israel, and it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that it's all gone the way it has, right? And there is that future portion where we know there will be a substantial and a concerted attack designed to destroy Israel, and God is going to defend them. And I think that's very important, right? Thank you for joining us today for Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We'll get back to our study shortly. To listen again, go to lightonthehillradio.com or listen to Pastor James through our Light on the Hill app. It's free and available to download at the App Store or Google Play. We also have a podcast. We'd love to hear what God is doing in our listeners' lives, so send us an email today. 
It would mean a lot to Pastor James to hear from you. We also want to pray for you as we realize these are difficult times for so many. Our email address is radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. That's radio at calvarychapelsignalhill.com. As we continue to share God's word on stations across the nation, maybe you'd like to support what we're doing. This would be a wonderful time to make a secure donation at lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Now let's return to our lesson on Israel's coming future. Pastor James is in Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall notice this, look upon me whom they have pierced, and uh, they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his birth firstborn. And that's kind of a crazy thing because the picture here, and this is, you know, you're, you're talking about this prophecy, folks. You're talking about this being 500 years, just over 500 years prior to Christ being crucified, right? But then to look at the picture, I mean, you think it's a, a metaphorical kind of a picture of how they're going to realize they made the wrong decision, but it's a very, very descript picture, right? That they are going to realize there is going to come a point in time and it's going to happen when God delivers the nation of Israel from the attacks of Russia that we read about in Ezekiel 38, that the people, especially after their exposure to the final Antichrist and recognize when they recognize that he's fake and they recognize he's not the one that they were hoping for, even though they thought he was. They're going to open up their eyes and God is going to cause them to open up their eyes to realize that they did not only pick the wrong person, but they're going to realize that they actually crucified the one who they uh, were, uh, that they had been waiting for this whole time. And they're going to cry. They're going to weep bitterly and sorely. And they're going to realize when they look upon the one in whom they pierced, that they actually killed the right one and lifted up the wrong one, right? And they're going to be mourning. It's going to be a bitter mourning and a bitter weeping. And I can't even begin to demonstrate what this kind of weeping is going to look like because the demonstration that's being given to us here is a man who loses his firstborn son. There's so much more to come in our study of the minor prophets. Join us daily as we take in and apply the truths found in God's word. That's right here on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, a ministry presentation of Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is 